Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? That was like a good morning, good, like a whole mixture. Everybody didn't know what to respond. It's like I like, I like asking people multiple questions wrapped up in one question. Hey, we are going to be continuing on with our series of James. How many of you have enjoyed James so far? I was like, that's pretty good. You know, we've only gotten into one chapter, so that's pretty good, right? Hey, last week was, I, I actually got a lot out of that message that Pastor Tony brought. And if you weren't here, I encourage you, get on YouTube, get on Facebook, watch it. If you can't watch it, get on Spotify, get on iTunes, listen to it. If you didn't know, we've got every avenue out there to try to make it so that you guys can listen to our messages, share our messages, let other people know about the truth of the gospel, okay? So I am excited. I get to present, you know, we've been going through James. We, last week, Pastor Tony really set the stage for who James is. Uh, we learned, you know, I was talking to some of our youth and they were trying to discuss, we were discussing, you know, different books of the Bible. And we're like, whenever you open up a book of the Bible, it's always good to understand the context of where that book was written, who wrote that book, who is it written to. And I thought that Pastor Tony did an incredible job of letting us know that James isn't just this guy in the Bible. He happens to be the half brother of Jesus. So he's one of the closest people to Jesus while Jesus was on this earth. And so he knew what Jesus stood for. He knew what Jesus lived for. He, he saw him, how he lived his life, and, and he followed him. And I love that James, even in the first chapter, discusses some challenging topics. But we see in James's life that he lived out everything that he was teaching and preaching. We learn that he ended up becoming a martyr and, and died for the cause. You know, and, and I think it's even more powerful when you get to see that people that you read about or people that you listen to actually do practice what they preach. Um, and so if you don't know Pastor Tony, I just want to take a minute and just let you guys know that this guy does practice what he preaches. Okay. So just, just a little, you know, plug there. Come back next week. He'll keep being here. <laughs> Hey, but last week, I know it was a pretty incredible message. We actually got to discuss suffering. We discussed that as believers, as Christians, we are not immune to suffering, which is unfortunate for us, right? But it's, it's encouraging to know that our faith and our, our beliefs is actually strengthened in the midst of suffering. And suffering actually causes us to have more perseverance. And it actually allows us to mature as believers. And so it's encouraging. I thought it was an encouraging message. I know it's sometimes hard when you're preaching a message on suffering, but I, w I was very encouraged when I walked away. So today, you know, I get the opportunity to speak on the second chapter of James, which a lot of people, when you discuss James, this is where people tend to go is the second chapter. And some people say this is when James really lays down the hammer and like throws it down on people and, and tells people like, you really got to step up if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
But one of the themes, and I'll tell you, I mean, I was back and forth on where to go with this message. I'd been praying about it, and I had probably four sermons, which is normal for me. You know, if if Pastor Tony gives me a a direction to go in, I can usually try to find sermons, and then it gets to the point of like, okay, God, what is me and what is you? Like, really go through this and and search my heart, make sure this isn't something that just is Lane thinking out loud and Lane wanting to say something. This This needs to be something that affects my life and affects somebody in the room when I get there on Sunday. And so I woke up at 3 a.m. on Tuesday morning filled with anxiety and stress, which is not normal for me, but in this season, I feel like it's coming a lot more. <laughs> when, you, when you have a baby in the house, you never know when that baby's gonna wake up and any noise wakes you up. But I woke up and I was like, you know what? God, I could do what my flesh is telling me is that go and grab your phone, start scrolling, start watching reels, send all of them to all the people that you know, because when they wake up, it'll make their morning so much better, you know? Or I could go and have a snack without my wife knowing, you know, I could stay up late, watch a show. But I was like, God, if I'm going to be awake, you might as well just download whatever it is that you want me to have. And so I went into the living room and I grabbed my phone and I just started to just write. It was like God just opened up everything. And I, and I truly believe that this message, if it's not for you, it was definitely for me. So, so I appreciate it. But I do believe that God has something for us all today in this message. And, and today I want to discuss one of the crucial and key themes that's found in the book of James, which is faith. Faith being activated in our lives. And I think that faith is one of those concepts, it's one of those words that when you're a Christian, you hear that word thrown out all the time. I mean, I've grown up around church, so I've heard people like, oh, put your faith in Jesus. No, your, your faith has made, your, made you well. Your faith has done this. Your faith is doing this. Faith is doing this. And, and I've almost grown to the point where it's like, I don't actually know what faith means. I think I do. But do I actually understand what faith is actually supposed to mean? And so if you are in the room and you knew that we were going into the book of James and maybe last week you're like, I am going to study ahead. I am going to read all of James chapter two and I am going to like take notes on it. I think some of our youth would call you overachievers, but I appreciate you guys doing that. Now, if you're like a lot of people who did not think about where we were going this week and didn't open up the Bible and go to James chapter two, that's totally fine because we are going to read the entire chapter this morning. Now, that can sound a little intimidating, but Pastor Tony did a great job reading it last week, and that was 26 verses, and chapter two is also 26 verses. So if you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of James chapter two, and I will have it on the screen for you, um, but I will read it here for you too. It says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and you you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my foot still, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. 
Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, Jesus, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are still a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who was not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Adam or Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's pray together real quick. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together this morning and worship and praise your name. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to just come and be in communion with you and be in relationship with you. Thank you for giving us the word. Thank you for giving us the Bible that we can study and learn and grow together. God, I pray that you just be with us this morning. Let your Holy Spirit fill the room and let our minds be made alive. Let our hearts and spirits be just excited for what we can do in your kingdom. So God, I pray that you just be with us in this message. I pray that you just guide us as we go about our day and be with us in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So in that section, in that whole chapter, there is a lot of information, right? There is a lot to be said in that passage. But the one thing I wanted to kind of notice is that the very first verse, James starts off discussing faith. And so I wonder, it's like, if we were to go into this whole entire chapter and we don't have an understanding of the importance of faith, how will we even understand the later verses in that chapter? And so I know it's a joke around here that in order to preach on Sunday, you have to have a message put into three points. I do have three points today, so, so I've got three for you. So, but the first point I want us to look at 
when it's in regards to faith is that faith is a choice. Faith is a choice to believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here for pre-service prayer, you understand that we are a church that believes in the power of Jesus Christ. It's what we put our entire, we, like we build our foundation on Jesus Christ. And so isn't it fitting how James, when he's opening up this, this second chapter, he is saying that it's crucial that we have the faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that some of us in the room, if you're like me, maybe like I said earlier, maybe you've kind of grown weary or numb to what that means, which is dangerous in my opinion. I've fallen into the trap, the, the trap of saying, oh, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then somebody's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, I, well it's what he did for me. It's what he did for you. And then, and then I stumble over the words on how do I tell somebody what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ? So I want us to really think about it before we go any further. Do you truly believe what it means to put, your cho- put a choice of believing in Jesus Christ. This is a God who, from the beginning of time, when we look at the Bible, we look at the Old Testament to the New Testament, you will see time and time again a God that is seeking a relationship with humans. And despite their best efforts, those humans start to follow God for a little while and follow, obey his commandments and commune with him and then mess up. And then fall away or run away and hide from God. But throughout the Old Testament and throughout Scripture, you're going to see that even though man keeps dropping the ball in the relationship, God is always there present waiting for him to turn around. Every aspect of Scripture. And I think sometimes when we look at the gospel, all we point to is the New Testament. And I don't think you're incorrect in going there and talking about what Jesus did for you. But if you don't understand the fact that we have a loving God through Old Testament to New Testament, you're giving, you're cutting the gospel short. It needs to be an understanding that no matter what you do in this life, no matter how many times you turn your back on a God who loves you, he's still right there waiting for you. His sacrifice doesn't get nullified. It doesn't go void. It's still there waiting for you. And that's what it is. It's a choice on our part to follow Jesus Christ. And I can tell you from personal experience, I was called at a young age. I was 16 years old and I went to a conference in Seattle, Washington. And I went to this conference and I heard the speakers and, and I was really touched by everything. And I was like, you know what, God, I am going to choose to dedicate my life to you. I'm going to choose to follow you at this stage. And, and whatever that means, I'm going to do. And some stranger came up to me. I don't know her name. But she prophesied over me and said, because of the decision that you've made, God has chosen you to preach the gospel. And at 16 years old, I was like, God chose me. And, I, and it's like in my heart, I knew he had chosen me before I got to that point. But to have somebody be like, no, he's still actively choosing you. Now, if you know my story, you know, four years later, I chose to turn my back on everything that God had promised for me. I chose to walk away from everything I had been taught, everything that I had been brought up to believe. 
And I'll be honest, I felt like the reason I was going to choose my own way is because things got difficult, uncomfortable, challenging. And I was like, it doesn't work. You chose me and it doesn't work. Like nothing works anymore. So I'm going to choose me and I'm going to go my own way. And what's so crazy is I look at scripture and I'm like, Jesus wrote my story in there. Like he talks about this story of this parable son who had everything handed to him by the father. And the son is like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go my own way. And yet when the son decided to recognize the mistake and recognize that he needed security and needed hope, he chose to go back to the father and the father was waiting with open arms for him to come back. And I look at this, this choice that we have to believe in Jesus Christ, and I want to remind us in the room that it does not matter if you have chosen not to follow God. It's not too late for you. There is hope for you. He's never left you. He's, his death on the cross that happened for you, it's still there for you. Like his resurrection is still available for you. This choice is still an option for you. Throughout scripture from, like I said, in the very beginning of scripture from Genesis, you have God who is calling out, seeking, saying, where are you? And then you look at Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And once again, you see Jesus saying, I stand at the door and knock. It's a choice for us to open that door. It's a choice for us to come out of hiding. It's a choice for us to have faith in Jesus Christ. And I look at these things and I want everyone in the room to understand this because I think it's so crucial to us to really understand what the gospel is. And maybe you're in the room and you're like, yeah, I get it, Lane. I I chose Jesus. That's why I'm here. Well, then do you know how to explain that to somebody? If we are called to share the gospel and the gospel comes from hearing and salvation comes from hearing, are you the one that they're listening to? Are you in the room willing to actually go out and speak to somebody and say, this is the saving truth. We have all messed up. We've all broken. We, we have hurt others. We've hurt ourselves. We all are damaged. I'm damaged. You're damaged. And guess what? God still loves you. If you want to choose to follow him, he is still here for you. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is available for you. And so my challenge to you is that, yes, maybe you're in the room and you're like, I get it, Lane. I, I did choose to follow Jesus. Share it. Yes, yeah. Share it. There should be something in you that cannot keep this truth to yourself. Yes, yes. And I know it's a little uncomfortable to get out of your comfort zone and to be able to share this. But I want to encourage you in the room to share what the gospel is to you. Share what it is to have your choice to believe in Jesus Christ. I also want to point out one thing for you. And and I love to just have like practical stories and things that I can use. Because I know Jesus uses parables. When we were at camp this year, we had a pastor from Texas explain to us what it means to actually choose to believe in Jesus. And he used this description that he went to a baseball game. And he's got his jersey on of his favorite player. And he's so excited because somebody has gifted him with these incredible skybox seats where he gets to be in the big press box and everything. And so he's walking through the crowds and he sees everybody with their jerseys on. Everybody's got their jerseys. They're so excited to be there. And he gets up into the box and he's, he's eating the food. and He's ready to watch the game. And he looks over on the other side of the room 
And he sees this lady standing there. She's just got a dress on. She's very well put together. But she doesn't have a jersey on. She doesn't look like she belongs at a baseball game. And then he realizes that the all-star player on the game, that's his wife in the room. The greatest player that's on the field right now, his wife is up there just watching the game and supporting. And one of the things that he thought was so interesting is that she wasn't wearing the jersey of her husband. But what she was wearing was the ring of her husband. And I look at that and he points out the fact that choosing to follow Jesus is not choosing to be a fan of Jesus. Choosing to follow Jesus means that you're willing to be in covenant with Jesus. That you're choosing to love Jesus. And when things start to get really messy and things start to struggle and when things aren't going so well for you, you're not going to take the jersey off and switch teams. When the, when the team doesn't look like it's doing well, it's not just throwing in the towel and burning the jersey. It's knowing that that ring, no matter what happens on that field, whatever happens in the game of life, you are still in covenant with that person. And so I want you to understand, like, yes, it's a choice to believe in Jesus, but it's a choice that has weight and significance to it. And when you make that choice, we aren't just becoming a fan of Jesus. It means that it's going to affect our life and that we become a ride or die with Jesus, literally in some cases. Our second point I want us to look at, which is tied to that covenant in that relationship, is that faith requires trust. Faith requires trust in God's will. And this is not the easy part of faith. Trusting in God's will is not the easy part. Now, I can look at a lot of you in the room, and a lot of you I know, and you know me, and you trust me, but then there's some of you in the room that you don't know me, and you don't have to trust me. You don't have to do that. But I want to ask everyone in the room to do something for me. Okay. Everyone in the room, please stand up. This is not a Slim Shady song. Everybody in the room, stand up. And what I'm going to have you do, grab your belongings and move to the row in front of you, directly in front of you. Every single person, except for these Nunez folk, you just got to make room. Okay, everyone in the room. I know it's taking a little time, right? It's okay, you can disrupt the service a little bit. You're gonna move just one row up. This is going exactly how I thought it would. This reminds me of Legacy Youth, just controlled chaos, okay? Everybody in the room. Thank you. Now here's the thing, you're like, why did I have to get up from my seat and move? Well, you trusted me. You trusted the voice that was speaking to you. And the thing about trusting God's will is trusting that even when he moves you, and even when it's uncomfortable, it's going to bring you closer to him. No matter what happens in life, you are going to be moving closer to him if you're willing to trust his will. And that's the thing. I think that faith requires this trust. 
Now, what's challenging, especially in my own life, is I, I'm a little bit of a control freak, I guess. <laughs> I like to have control of a situation. Especially when you're in, I mean, if you're driving on these highways or back roads, you understand there's a lot of out of control people, right? <laughs> and the thing about this life is that you can go about this life and I have to constantly adapt to the chaos and the confusion that's around me. I'm constantly having to adapt to other people. And I, I constantly have to bend to other people and work around other people. And it's annoying and frustrating. And so when it comes to my desires, comes to my life, I want a little bit of control in my life. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it because I finally have an opportunity to do it, right? But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, he says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. What Paul is reminding us is, you don't have control, period. Even when you think that you are in control, you're not. So who are you going to give control to? Is it going to be the savior of the universe? Is it going to be the one who knows the beginning and end of your life? The one who has a plan and a destiny for you? Is that who you're going to trust? The one who can never hurt you. The person who is a loving father and can never do harm to you. Is that who you're going to trust? Or are you not going to trust his will? And that's a hard thing. I think sometimes we come to church and we look at it like, yeah, I trust God's will for my life. That's why I'm here on a Sunday. That's why I come here. That's why I do all this. Because I trust God's will for my life. I, I pray to him. I ask him to do these things. In fact, I pray and I'm like, God, do this. I believe. I have faith that you can do this. Do you have faith that he doesn't have to do it? That's the, that's the hard thing. Is Are you willing to pray and take your will out of the equation? Because... James reminds us, and he kind of puts it out there as this crazy shock factor. He puts out the fact that even the demons choose to believe who God is. But they don't trust his will for their life. They're going to trust their own will. Jesus himself says that there are many of you that will say that you chose me, and you may even do miracles but if it's not according to my will, I'll say I never knew you. And that is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Am I choosing God? Am I, am I following God? But am I putting my will above his will? And I like to look at this in a different way. Jesus himself, when he said to his disciples, they asked him, how do you want us to pray? One of the first things he says is, thy will be done. God and Father in heaven, I'm going to ask this of you, but your will be done. Yeah. I, I want you to hear the desire of my heart, but I also want you to know, throw it away if it doesn't align with your will. Yeah. Faith requires trust in God's will and not your own. Meaning, which, is, which was a hard pill for me to swallow, meaning that I can know that God is a miracle worker and also trust that even if he doesn't make that miracle happen, it'll be according to his will. Yes. 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 
Have you ever prayed for healing or prayed for a job or prayed for all these things and only gave God your will? Said, I, I want you to heal this person. I have faith that you can heal this person. I know you can do it. Heal this person without asking, is it in your best interest, God, that this person be healed? That's, that's scary. When you're, you're saying, God, I love you so much. Have your will in my life. Here is my family. Here is my finances. Have your will in, that life, in my life, not my will. Like, I will tell you from personal experience, it is hard in my own life to tithe 10% every month. I know where my money can go. I know the bills that need to get paid. But to first go, God, here's my bank account. Take it. And then whatever's left over, use it. Like, take, take what you want from it. It's all yours anyways. And then I'm going to trust that you got me figured out. You'll have to pay that bill. And what's insane is it happens. Like, it's insane that it happens when you trust God. I remember I can tell people examples of where I look at my bank account, knowing that there is not enough in there to pay for my gas to get to work. And I go to work the next morning and somebody gives me a tip. I didn't get tips at my job, but somebody gave me $40. I was like, hey, thanks for doing such a great job. Here's $40. That was gas to get back to work. And then some people in the world are going to be like, Oh, see, God, he's not even blessing you. He's just getting you to work. He's just getting you to the daily grind. He's not going to, like, he's not blessing you with all these things. I'm like, yeah, he supplied every need. He, he got me to the job. Like, now I can keep working. Now I can actually keep witnessing to my coworker who I'm driving with every day and start spreading the gospel and see lives change in that area. But trusting in God's will is not easy. James gives us an example of Abraham who had waited such a long time to see God's promise in his life. And when he finally gets this promise of a son, God says, give me your son. Like what's going through Abraham's mind as he's climbing a mountain with his son? He's got to be saying, God, I trust you, but I don't, I don't understand what this is supposed to look like. And what's encouraging is when you look at the book of Hebrews, Abraham actually climbed the mountain with his son saying, God, I trust your will, your nature, your promise enough that even if my son dies on this mountain, you could bring him back to life. Like that is an incredible faith that takes you leaning in all of your strength on God. Faith requires this trust on God. And it's not an easy thing. Like, I don't want to come up here and be like, this is easy. Like, once you put your faith in Jesus, you've got it. Trust his will. It'll all work out. It's all rainbows. And most people that know me, you know, I'm pretty optimistic most of the time. But inside, I'm like, I'm scared to death right now. I don't know what's happening. God, I am, I'm giving you everything, but can you give me an idea of where we're going with this? Like... But all I have in my mind is the promises that he's put out before me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never, I will never let you. Even the birds don't worry about their food. 
And what's beautiful is that if we are truly putting our faith in God's will, and we are putting ourselves in community with other believers, then it would lead to our next point, which faith demands obedience to God's word. Faith demands that we are obedient. And I wrote it this way. Faith demands obedience. Obedience requires action. And action equals works. Once again, faith demands obedience. Obedience requires action. And action is equal to works. James is telling us the importance of works tied to your faith in verses 14 through 26. He also tells us, which we read last week in chapter 1, that we are called to be doers of the word of God. Yes. That's found in verse 22 of chapter 1. In the verse, first 13 verses of chapter 2, though, he's telling us where to direct those actions. This is where we find the how we are to live out our faith. We've now decided to choose to follow Jesus. We are trusting that he is a good God. He is who he says he is. We're going to put our faith in him and trust his will for our life. But now it's our job. Like it's, it takes something from us. Now we are commanded to put it into action. And Jesus and James reiterates this commands us to love our neighbors. In fact, there's no way that anyone can even see that you are a believer of Jesus Christ, according to James, if you're not willing to put action into it. And I look at that and I'm like, okay, okay, I get that now. Now that I understand like what all this faith has to do, it's like, I get it. If, If somebody, if the whole goal is to keep spreading the gospel and to show the love of Christ to others, because we are all undeserving of this. I don't deserve the gospel. I don't deserve the promises of God. I don't deserve to have his will, his best intentions. I don't deserve to hear his voice. I don't deserve to be guided by God himself. Yet the fact that he has chosen us and adopted us into his family demands the fact that I need to be obedient to his word. Demands that I need to love my neighbors. And I know I've spoken about this before and and Pastor Tony has discussed this before. Like, who are your neighbors? One of the easiest things is neighbors are whoever is in proximity to you that you can love on. It's when Jesus tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan, he reminds us that your neighbor is not necessarily somebody who looks like you, talks like you, votes like you, dresses like you, does anything, has anything to do with you, except that they are a sinner like you. Like that's the thing that we all have in common. We're all undeserving of God's love. And so there we go. We're all neighbors with each other. So that means that we're all qualified to be loved on by God's people. Like our life is driven by this faith. I look at John Calvin, one of the great theologians wrote, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. The word alone in seven, verse 17 just means by itself, but true saving faith can never be by itself. It always brings life and life produces good works. 
True saving faith will lead you to action. It leads to works. And I look at these stories of all these people in the Bible and how they loved on other people and they, they shared with other people. They, the early church was known for hospitality. Did you know that the idea of an orphanage was created by Christians? Like in Rome, if you had a child that was born with a defect or, or unexpected, their version of an abortion was to take the baby after it's been born and set it outside the city and let the animals eat it. It's out of the city, it's out of my life. That's, that was their motto. And what Christians began to do is, oh, we're called to save children. We're called to love those who can't be loved. And so they would go around the city daily and, and walk laps looking for children to take into homes. And that is the idea of how we created orphanages. Is because the early church was looking for neighbors, looking for people to make a difference on. And I think sometimes when we talk up here and we're talking about your faith, needs to, you need to spread the gospel, you need to love people, you need to do all this stuff. And some of you in the room are like, well, I'm, I'm not a communicator. I don't have a voice. I, I am scared to death of people. I am not, I don't need to get up on a platform. I don't need a microphone. I'm totally fine being quiet and not, don't give me any spotlight. That's okay. Not everybody is called to come up here. There's days when I don't feel like I'm called to be up here. But I look at the, the people in this room and I, I look at how much hope is in the room. How many stories are in the room. I want to show you a picture of two couples. And these photos are taken back in the probably the 50s or 60s. There's going to be two photos of these two couples. And these two couples, I don't think any of you know who they are. But these two couples in the 50s and 60s decided they're going to give their life to Jesus. They're going to dedicate their life to Jesus. They're going to choose to follow Jesus. Even though they come from broken homes, they come from, one of them was an orphan. No idea who their parents are. And they chose at this moment, this is when they first began to get married, they chose that they were going to choose to follow Jesus, trust his will for their life, and obey his commandments. And they never had a platform. So what they decided to do is that they would have children. They would take their children to church every Sunday. Anytime that the church was open, them and their family would serve the local church. They would tithe. And then above tithing, they would look for opportunities to give to those in need. The man on the, your left, I guess. The man on the left worked at a factory, sugar factory, all his life. The man on the right worked at an automotive factory, and then after that shut down, worked at a mechanic shop. Both of their wives were teachers. They didn't do anything. They never got praise. They've never had a bunch of followers on Instagram. They've never had all this huge impact on the world. In fact, I can tell you their names and you still probably don't know who they are. There's John and Twyla and Larry and Orla. Names that you don't know. People that you don't know who they are, but all they decided to do was drive people to church on Sunday, open up their homes for Bible studies, teach their kids the word of God, tithe, 
what they'd do is they'd, every now and then have the opportunity in their 60s to go on short-term missions trips. All they did was love with the little that they have. And you can go to the next slide. And this is them. The only one that's still alive is Twyla with the black hair. And these are my grandparents. They never served with asking for anything. Yet because of their obedience to the word of God, there's eight pastors that came from their children. Seven churches were planted. 16 countries had people go to mission trips. There's 14 orphanages that were built. I can even say, literally, between their children and grandchildren, there will be sermons and prayers prayed and preached for the starting seven hours ago and will continue to go because of how the time zones work overseas and on the East Coast and the West Coast and in Guatemala. Because of their obedience to the word of God, their faith built a legacy. Thousands of people were impacted by the word of God because of their simple obedience. And so I look at this room and I'm like, we have 300 plus people that come here on Sundays. 300 plus people that listen to our messages and and have on the wall hope for all. But are we willing to actually put action into our faith? Are we willing to put works with our faith? And so today I do want you to think about where it is that you are going to to give and where you're going to put into action. What's incredible is that we were, last week we put out a challenge and we raised $3,000 for people that we don't know will never see. That's beautiful. That's literally what we were teaching. That's what Pastor Tony taught. That's what I was teaching today. We literally put it into action last week. But maybe you don't have that funds where you can just give. Maybe you only have your 10%. Thank you for giving your 10% to help the local church. Because your tithes are helping. Your offerings do make a difference. I want to give you, though, some practical things. Because, I, like I said, I'm a practical person. And I, I feel like there's some of you in the room that are like, okay, I, I want to put my faith into action. Where do I put my faith into action? Well... Boise Rescue Mission needs food. Simple as that. They don't have enough food that they're estimating to get them through this year. They need canned food. They need regular food. The women's shelter in Boise and the men's shelter in Boise, they need coats. They need socks. I don't know how to be more applicable to what Scripture says than food, shelter, clothing. And if you need someone to speak to, Jason Billister, who attends our church, is an advocate. He, will, he works with them. You can speak to him and find out exactly how to get those supplies to them. Yep. Another one is Stanton Health. Yes. Stanton Health is located in Meridian. My wife is a liaison. But Stanton Health is literally trying to be a Christian alternative to Planned Parenthood. They know that there's women that... Who knows how they got in the situation that they're in, but they're having a child and they need diapers. 
They need people to drop off unopened boxes of diapers for these moms that can't afford it. They need literal somebody to drive the mobile clinic to Ontario to park it in front of the Planned Parenthood to talk to women before they go and have an abortion. They need people to help support them so that they can give people counseling after they've had an abortion to minister to the souls of these women that are going through traumatic things. Jesus says, help the widows and the orphans. Well, these are fatherless children and these are husbandless women. That meets the quota to me. If you don't want to think outside of this little area, we have our missions teams. We've got the Menendez family that's helping out in Israel. We have the McDonald family that's helping out in Thailand, Burma, and Laos, who they're currently trying to bring medical supplies, Bibles, teaching materials to refugees on the border. They are over there trying to help with these children's homes, children that have been abandoned by their families or families that can't afford to feed their children anymore, so they send them to this home. They are in constant need of prayer and finances. If you're looking for more of a local opportunity, Legacy Kids is always needing volunteers. Ashley Hoover, who's in there with our kids, is always looking for people that are willing to come down to the level of a child and show them the love of Christ. Teach them, preach to them, sing with them, be a buddy, help them get to where they need to go. Calm them down when they're having anxiety because who knows what's going on in their home. So if you, if you want to help somebody and you want to help the church and the next church, yeah. go volunteer in Legacy Kids. We have small groups in our church. These are spaces that are designed to be able to disciple people, love people, share the word of God with others, bring meals to people when they're sick, in need, going through things. That's why we have these small groups set up. We need you to open up your home to allow people just to come in and just dump life's problems on each other. Let people know, hey, we're not okay, but we have a God who is. These are just a few things that I want to just give you as practical areas that you can give. Because faith demands that we're obedient to God's word. And so I am going to close out in a different way today. I encourage you that if you would love to take communion, I encourage you that when we close out today, make time, take, uh, take part in communion, worship on your way home, stick around for second service and hang out and do worship again. Look at where you can give. That's an that's a uncomfortable area in my life is giving of my finances, giving of my time, give, sacrificing time with my family. It's uncomfortable to trust God's will. But I wanna encourage us to really think about how are we putting our faith in Christ? Look for those opportunities this week to share the gospel with someone. I'll pray to close us out and then you can all be dismissed, but I hope I hope that this message resonates and sparks something in you. I hope that the Holy Spirit's just working in the midst of some of you. And if there's somebody in the room that you have never chosen to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to make the best choice that you can ever make. 
Because there is a God who's been waiting for you. There is a God who's been looking for you. There is a God who has designed you specifically the way that you are for a purpose. You have a story, you have a background that only you have and only you can share with others to be able to share the gospel in a unique way. And that's for all of us. God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way that it can be a lamp to our feet and light in the darkness. God, I pray that you just be with us today. Guide our footsteps. Let us go forth with a boldness and a confidence and a courageousness. Let us trust your will and when things get uncomfortable, let us find peace and refuge in you. God, I pray that you just seal this message and that you seal in all of our hearts. Let us go forth not the same as we came in this morning. We've given you glory and praise and sought your face this morning. And God, thank you. Thank you for those opportunities. But God, bless the opportunities that we have, whether big or small. Let us look for ways in our own life that we can put our faith into action. God, I pray that you just open up our hearts and minds and let us be a community and a church that is truly seeking ways to love your people. Looking for opportunities to get uncomfortable. Looking for people that are in the dark. Looking for people that are brokenhearted and are willing to put our differences aside and provide hope for them. God, I pray that you just be with each and every one of us in the room. Let us not walk out of here the same as we came in. Let us constantly be seeking your will in our life and not our own. Your will be done. In this church, God, I pray for Legacy Church. Let this be your church not our church. Let your will be done in this church, in this building, with your money, anything that you have, let it be your will, not our will. And we will continue to give you the praise and the glory that you deserve. Thank you again for your son. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you for the gospel message. Thank you for choosing to love us even while we were yet sinners and undeserving of love. God, I pray that you just be with each and every one of us. Bless us this week. We pray all of these things in your son's mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com. Or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.